We just finished this past week getting our summary report as members of the transformative leadership training team from First United Methodist Church in Carrollton. We've been at that task some eight or so weeks, eight to ten, getting ready for the event, answering questions and sent back to the leadership team, spending a, a day together, most of a day together, evaluating what we said about our church, about our hopes and our dreams, reliving stories of the church. Oh, there's so many rich stories in a congregation like this one. And yes, there are some stories that are hard to recall, hard to remember. But in the midst of all of them, there is this constant theme as different people from different ages and times were gathered together at this time in this church to share how Christ had touched their hearts and lives through the ministry of this congregation. And so we eagerly participated in all that we shared. And now that that event has become history, so to speak, it will become a new expression of our history into the future if all goes as planned. We have considered our challenges. We have considered our opportunities in the community. We've prayed about them. We've thought about them. We've prayed for 90 days leading up to Easter for this congregation to get a sense of who we are, to whom we belong, and to what we are being called to do, and to who we are being called to be in this community in which God has placed us. We considered what is God blessing now in this congregation? Where is the momentum for the gospel finding its expression in this, peop- this group of believers? And after all of that, there will be more meetings. After all, we're Methodists. <laughs> there will be more plans made. Statements will be redone and recast into simpler, more knowable terms so that every member of this congregation will have the opportunity and the expectation of each other to know the mission of this church, to be able to speak its vision in a few short sentences, to be able to share what we value as a group of believers in this place, and to be committed to taking those values and reaching out to the opportunities that are presented to us in this place and throughout God's world. For that is the mission of the church, and it always has been. But you know what? The church had a tough start. I know the church was born on Pentecost. At least that's what we like to say. And we celebrate the church's birth on Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, But you know also, there would not have been a Pentecost had there not have been an Easter. And in fact, the Sundays of Easter, according to the liturgical calendar, are Sundays of Easter, not in Easter. Because Easter is a much bigger event than simply one Sunday. Easter encompasses the Sundays that come after it as well. We thrill in the joy of what's happened, and we repeat it until it's fulfilled in Pentecost. And the power that we have lacked comes with the faith in order that we might be the people of God. And in fact, if you get technical, and I know getting technical is dangerous for a preacher when a preacher's preaching, but let's just get technical for a moment. The church really started even before the Holy Spirit came. Weird as that may sound to you, and I know I'm treading on dangerous ground, But I don't intend to tread on it lightly. I intend to rub my foot all over it. 
Because you see, when Jesus came to those first disciples and said, follow me, and they looked up and they saw this guy, and they indeed follow him away that day, the church began. Now, they didn't know it was going to be called church. In fact, they didn't even know what this dude was talking about. But he said, follow me. And for some reason, they had the strength to get up from their fishing boats, to get up from the tax tables, to get up from wherever they were working in the world and to follow Jesus. It is nothing short of 12 miracles that 12 men followed that man that day to do they did not know what. If Jesus were to show up today in this congregation and say, follow me and start walking out the door, I wonder if 12 would follow him again. I wonder if we'd recognize him as Jesus, especially if he didn't wear a big cross. Tell us he had credentials from Harvard and Yale and other divinity schools across the world. What if he just walked in here in kind of raggedy clothes and sandals and said, follow me? We might be tempted to say, you? You got to be kidding We don't know you. We don't know what you're going to do. We don't know whether you're a Methodist or not. (laughs) It's hard to become a Methodist than you think, and it's really hard to become a Methodist preacher. Trust me, I've got the wounds and the scars to show too. Not in my hands. It's a tough process, meant to be tough. Because ministry is tough. And sometimes we make it sound like being a church member is easy because we try to take the hardest things that have to be done in church and pay somebody to do them. So that means the membership can kind of come to church and worship, feel good, and go home. All behind the closed doors of some church building. And we feel pretty good about that. In fact, for many of us, that is the most That we think about God in our life. It's for that two and a half hours we come to church on Sunday morning. If we're still having Sunday school. Although in many churches they're not. Now they may be having worship for an hour and a half. Some of you are saying kind of like us. No we don't stay an hour and a half most of the time. (laughs) But we do have Sunday school. See the first church that really, where it's getting closer to Pentecost, gathered in an upper room a week later, and the doors were shut. The windows were closed. They were afraid. They were contemplating what the women had told them about what they'd seen at the tomb and what they had seen when they ran out there and saw that it was empty. Okay, what did Jesus say? What did he say? Did he say he was going to be dying? He was going to die. He was going to be crucified and he's going to rise again he said that right yeah and he said he's going to come again right he said he's going to live forever yeah but we don't see him and so into the midst of their uncertainty in the midst of their doubt if you will Jesus shows up boom here I am and boom when he shows up he says peace be with you now imagine they were scared to death is what they were Peace, peace, whoa. Nail-scarred hands. Not looking quite exactly like himself, so much that they knew who it was, 
until he told them who he was by saying, see my hands? Not quite for sure. And then he said those words that are incredulous and are so amazing. He said, you know, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And one of them probably said, did he mean us? And then he said, the sins that you forgive are forgiven, and the sins that you retain are retained. Whoa. I'm thinking, you're letting those people make judgment about sin, God? I mean, they're not, they're not exactly the toast of the town. They're not exactly the most stable group of people you could have picked. Are you sure? And then Jesus is gone. They tell Thomas and poor Thomas, known in history now as what? Doubting Thomas. A week later, after having seen the, record, the resurrected Lord, where are the disciples again? In a room, upstairs, with the doors closed, doing what? Nothing. Now, who was the doubting Thomas? They are the ones that he said, so as God has sent me, so I send you. They were still stuck in that room. They were still waiting there for something. They didn't know what. Oh, I know. We go back and say, well, they hadn't received the Spirit yet. Well, according to John, they actually had. He gave the disciples, breathed on him, the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. Now, I hadn't quite been sure of that for many years, and I probably preached something different in the past, but, you know, past sermons are forgiven. Thank goodness. But it kind of occurred to me that really I think God did give these first disciples the Holy Spirit on that day, even though none of the rest of the gospel stories say that. But if you think about it, how else would they have recognized Pentecost when it occurred had they not been in some kind of contact with the Spirit? Now, I don't believe the Spirit had taken full control of their lives at that point, but I do believe he had given them the Holy Spirit because John said so, and I like the Gospel of John. It makes it easy, right? Gospel of John, right? Easy. No problem. Well, when we think about that today in our context on these Sundays after Easter, what does that mean to us? What does it mean to us to think about linking Easter to Pentecost as one large event and then understand the rest of the Christian year as an expression of those realities? Crucified, risen Savior, empowerment of the Holy Spirit who dwells among us, wooing us into faith and into obedience. Now, when we think about this, this passage of Scripture talks about, first of all, we have to have faith in Jesus. It's obvious. This is who I am. Hello. Don't be unbelieving, he told Thomas, but believing. Continuous, present tense action verbs occurring not only in the past or the present, but also into the future. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Have faith, in other words. The first challenge of this Easter group, the beginnings of the church, if you will, was that they had doubt. And that was a challenge for Jesus. It wasn't just Thomas. It was the rest of them, too. They all had doubt floating around in their, in their lives. 
They weren't for sure that all that Jesus had told them was really true yet. They were beginning to get a sense of it and beginning to get stronger, but they weren't going to be totally convinced until Pentecost came. Now, what Jesus did in the face of their doubt was Jesus came to them. He came to them where they were. First thing he did, he showed up in their midst, uninvited, unexplained, and he did it in a way they would not forget. He did it in a way they would not forget. So he met that first challenge by being present in the face of doubt. Most of our world lives in doubt of who Jesus is. Most of the world in Carrollton, most of the world in Texas, most of the world in the United States, they really don't know who Jesus is, and they're certainly not committed to him. They are living in doubts and with doubts, and they are needing someone, somehow, to help them see Jesus as a resurrected Lord. Now, Thomas was fortunate. Jesus made a personal appearance, and we all think sometimes in the midst of our doubts, well, if I could just snap my fingers, much like the commercial on TV, when they're in trouble, you know, State Farm is here, and and pop, and State Farm is there, taking care of the problem. We want to snap our fingers and have Jesus show up so that every doubting Thomas and Marys that we know would suddenly not be doubting Thomases or doubting Marys. They would be believers. It would make our job so much easier, wouldn't it? Well, guess what? It took Jesus reappearing over and over again for 50 days before the disciples finally woke up. And they had been sleeping with him and eating with him and teaching with him for two and a half years. And they still were struggling with their doubts. So if Jesus made a sudden appearance today, came down and gave my favorite line, I'm here, I'm back, tithe this Sunday. <laughs> my favorite line for every church, one-time appearance, all you have to do is show up one time, maybe slay one or two in every congregation. And the church would have so much material things to work with that the church would be exploding around the world, right? But you know what? I bet if Jesus showed up, slayed one or two in every congregation, And then all of a sudden left the congregation. Within, oh, six months? Okay, 30 days. Okay, maybe a week. People would already be figuring out how it was okay not to tithe or to give a significant amount of their money to someone who's starving or someone who doesn't know Christ. Because, you see, the electric bill would have come. The car payment would have come. Tuition would have arrived. There's the college fund to be taken care of when they're going there. And there's a vacation coming up in the summer. We wouldn't be much more obedient, I'm afraid, If Jesus made a one-time appearance to us. It sounds good, but it doesn't appear to have worked too great the first time. So I'm just kind of guessing. People are such hardheads. They need something they can touch, something they can see. 
something they can believe in. And the best thing they get on this earth is the church when the church is acting like the church in the face of people's doubt. Jesus did not condemn them. Jesus did not scold them. Jesus did not act as if they weren't worthy of following him. Jesus just said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. But we're all full of doubt. doesn't matter. I'm sending you anyway. You are the plan. Second challenge on that text. Comes up when Jesus is there with them. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders. So they just thought they would go into their church. I'm sorry, into the upper room and shut the doors again. Worship and praise Jesus. Bask in the warmth that he really was the Savior. And then quietly kind of slink out and go back to home. Come back again the next week and bask in the presence of Jesus. Praise his name. Slink out the back door again. Go about their normal lives. Not say much about Jesus. Not worry about this church thing. Come back again as leaven. Maybe bring a spouse with it. It might be 12 or 14 by the third week. What does that sound like? Sounds like the Western church. And I'm old enough to say this. There's are good things about getting older. One of them is I've got 63 years of experience and counting on being a part of churches. And as the Western church goes, generally, we're pretty sad. Read any statistics you want to. Right here around us and around our country, we still don't even believe that more than half the people don't believe in Jesus as a follower. We still believe that, that most people are kind of Christian. What a joke. They're not. They're not. Most kids are not being raised in Christian homes. They're not. In fact, competition is so big now in our world, which we live, that they might have several friends who have quite different belief systems than Christianity. That is the world we live in. And Jesus is not to blame for that. He did his part. I'm afraid, though, the church lacks together in the safety of closed doors and worship because worship feels good. And besides that, when we gather here, there's a lot of work to do amongst us. We have to take care of each other. And we all know each other are sinners, and we got to get that sin out of each other. So we got to study, we got to read, we got to pray, we got to come back next week and study and read and pray. We got to do that week after week after week. And we might, if pushed, serve on a committee in the church. And if you push me even farther, I might do something heroic like volunteer as a youth leader, or teach VBS, or Volunteer at CCA school or show up in the summertime when there's a hundred kids here from all over being cornered by our daycare for the whole summer. We might just volunteer one day and just show up and say, I'm here. How can you use me? After Peg fainted, we would call <laughs> medical aid for her and then you would join them in leading these rowdy kids in a day, 10 or 12 hours of being cared for because their parents are working. 
You might even get so radical, you might teach children in the school after school in the Good News Club. As long as you didn't have to do it too often. Or it didn't cost you much money or the church much money. You say, what are you trying to say, Doug? You know what I'm trying to say. I've been saying it most of a year and a half. And you think I'm getting tired of it. But trust me, I'm just getting warmed up. I am just getting warmed up. It is time that we do something with the faith we have. We can't live in fear behind our doors and be a part of the work of the kingdom of God at all. You know what I'm doing? This church is full of faith as we are. In fact, at our TLT event, he kept saying, y'all are a remarkable church in many ways. Best facility they've ever had a TLT in. Best recording they've ever had a TLT in. Best storytelling they've ever heard. We know some wonderful stories about faith. We evangelicals, we got that cornered. We got it figured out. We know how to tell people about Jesus, right? Especially if we can do it and have it recorded and shown on the screen, which we'll be doing some before long. But especially if we're talking to another member who's struggling in their life, we can tell them how Jesus is going to help them. We are strong until 1201. Our own good Sunday is 1151. And we walk out that door and get into the light of day where the world is literally going to hell in a handbasket. And we go to work. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? What do we need to do today? What's our task? Well, let's do it. Rarely ever speaking the name of Jesus. I know because I was one of you for a number of years. And I spend most of my time trying to get you to go out the doors. The reason I roll up my sleeves is because we're fixing to go out the doors. Now, some of you are saying, well, I don't know who we is, preacher. But I've got a job, and I work hard, and I'm tired when I get home at night, and I've got sporting events to take my children to. I live a long way from this church. Well, good news is there's sinners everywhere. You don't have to come anywhere to find them. But you're going to have to do something about being a Christian if God is going to give you your dream of prayer. You know the prayers you've been praying for ever and ever for this church to grow and take off like it was meant to? It's going to happen, I believe. I believe it. But I don't have a lot of evidence to base that on. I would feel better off and more confident that if I was an unbeliever unbeliever in Cambodia, I might have a better chance of getting saved than I did if I was an unbeliever three miles from this church, if I depended on the Methodist church to do it. Now, if you're not offended yet, I'm trying hard to offend you. If you just wave your hand when you're offended, then I'll quit talking. We'll go home. Because Jesus didn't come and tell the disciples, you are such good boys. Pat, pat, pat. Let's sing a song. Let me just sit down and absorb it. He said, as the Father sent me to suffer and die and give my life, I'm sending you to suffer and die and give your life. And all I'm asking is, where's the suffering in the Western church? Not just us. In the Western church, it's that bad. It's an epidemic. The church is almost unrecognizable at times, according to the scriptures in the Western world. We are the wealthiest people the world has ever known, and yet we hardly have 
anything to give to others. And even when we do give to others, it gets so entangled with stuff that they can't see Jesus. I'm about through. Don't get panicky. Okay, we got challenges. We got lack of faith. We got fears. But that last one we have is one I've already spoke about. Not only are we afraid of the people outside the doors, we're afraid we'll have to get out from those closed doors and actually speak the faith we say we have when we're inside the doors. We're afraid to engage our neighbors because they're busy, we're busy, and we just don't have time. I don't know any Christians, which really means you don't know many people then <laughs> because a lot of the people you know aren't Christian. Trust me. I guarantee you they're not. But unless we're listening to their conversation with the ear of Jesus, we're not going to hear their cries because we are so busy and we don't really feel comfortable talking about that at work. How do I know the boss would like it? Well, I can assure you some bosses won't like it. They'll get over it or they'll fire you, whatever. I mean, whatever job you have, there are other jobs. Let's face it. We do live in this nation, right? I would rather count on Jesus keeping me employed when I was doing the work of Jesus than I would of keeping a boss happy. That's just an aside. That's not really part of the sermon. But the real thing is in this situation is Jesus comes back again and again to get them off of square one and to get them into the business of blessing because you see from the beginning God told Abraham you're blessed to be a blessing and it's still his plan. And he's still waiting for us to do that. Does that mean that you're not giving a, a blessing to anybody? No, I know that some of, you, some of you are witnessing fairly regularly. Shall we take a survey? Let's just do. Let's just take a survey. If you have, in the past week, told somebody about Jesus, literally, wherever you work, raise your mental hand. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, literally. You don't want to be, appear to be showing off. I know some of you probably witnessed every day last week. Right? Nobody's laughing. Last month, some of you have offered your room to somebody who's experienced tragedy. I know what happens when you offer people a room in your house. People think you're crazy, you know, because after all, People are weird. A house is just big enough for one family. Sometimes they're not big enough for one family. <laughs> I was about to say sometimes they're not big enough for one couple, but I'll leave that alone. <laughs> Houses shrink when they're guests in your house. But what if they're not guests? What if they're received and treated like family in those empty bedrooms you have? What if a youth who doesn't have a home is offered one? Oh, I know it's risky. Everything's risky outside these doors. Everything is risky. Telling somebody how much you really love Jesus is risky. It gets emotional. Men, we're particularly afraid of emotion. We don't like getting too excited. and We certainly don't like getting emotional or shedding a tear in front of another man. That's not a very manly thing to do. We don't really get worked up about anything, so why should we start with the church? Well, we do get worked up if our children are playing sports and they're winning. 
or if they have a great big achievement we're celebrating, we get emotional then, or terrifying for dads, when we're walking our daughter down the aisle to give her away, that's emotional. We might get away with it too then. But when we really get exercised as men is when we're working on a project at work and our self-worth is exploding. We feel so good about what we've accomplished. When's the last time you felt that way about what you gave at church or in your neighborhood in the name of Jesus? See, this is not a fun sermon. I know it's still Easter, but Jesus came back to tell them, open up the door and get out. Our culture misunderstands and mistrusts the church. And it breaks my heart to admit it. I hate the things I read about the church and books that have been written in the last 15 to 20 years. I especially hate them because they're often right. I know it takes a lot of effort behind this side of the doors to teach people about Jesus. It takes a lot of their time to read the scriptures. I know it's kind of a radical way to live. To carve up your life in times where you can actually give a significant amount of your time talking about Jesus. I know that to go outside the church takes another portion of time. I get that. I know we're all busy. But the world is dying. Waiting to see Jesus in the flesh walk in their midst. They will see your scars when you show them your hands. When you show them your heart. When you reach out to them with no strings attached. Not church membership. Just pure love. The kind that Jesus gave us. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we are the church. And though we've not always been who we could have been, we want to be who you're calling us to be in the future. We know that it's a challenging. We know we'll have doubts. We know that we'll struggle to stay together. We know that at times we'll wonder if what we're doing is having any effect at all. And then we know that the harvest will come. Lives will be changed. The church will be transformed. And the spirit of joy that is in this place where we worship will be our common experience throughout the week. Let it come, Lord Jesus. And let it begin with us. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. If you're here today and you need Christ, we're ready to offer Christ to you. If you're here today and you need a church home, you need a place where you can roll up your sleeves and go about the business of the Lord, we're ready to stand beside you. Will you come as we stand and sing?